When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Now, if you're thinking of starting your own business, my next guest has plenty of sound advice. As a business coach and workplace expert, Michelle Gibbings left the corporate world to go it alone and has cemented her place as a leader who knows just how to help businesses thrive. She joins us today to share some insights on how to build a business doing what you love. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here. Lovely. It's always a pleasure having you having a chat with us. Um, quite often we're talking, you know, leadership or transformation, change management, that kind of thing. But I thought today, since so many businesses um, are looking at new ways of, of um, you know, what services, new options for services or new products or also people in general that perhaps are in jobs are looking at what can my side hustle be? How can I make some extra money and start a business to get more more cash because I'm so cash poor at the moment. <laughs> so I, I thought I might pick your brain on that because you've also done quite a bit in that space as well. So let, let's start with your journey because, you know, you were change management, corporate, big business on that side of things, and now you have your own business and you teach people about all of those things. So how did that first come about? It's a fascinating story. I went on a meditation retreat And, you know, I often say to people, sometimes you need space and quiet time to work out what you want to do next. And it was at that meditation retreat that I realized I love learning. I love being challenged. That will never change. But I also was really looking for autonomy, that ability to be able to work in the way that I wanted to work, do the things that I wanted to do. And I figured that the only way I could really do that at the stage I was in my career was to go and work for myself. And I still remember coming back home after the retreat and saying to my husband, I'm done. And you could see him thinking, oh my God, done with what? I said, done with corporate. And he goes, oh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to open a business. And he goes, in what? I said, I've got no idea. Um, And that was 10 years ago. And it really was, I mean, it sounds slightly um, comedic when I say that, but it really was, I didn't actually know. I just knew I wanted to work for myself. And I gave myself time and space to be able to figure out what that was. Um, And also at the time, I got great advice from my um, financial planner at the time who said, you know, Michelle, you've never worked for yourself. So also give yourself a time limit, you know, work out what you think is an appropriate length of time to figure out, can you make a go of this? Are you going to make enough money? And also, are you going to get the satisfaction out of it that you're looking for? Um, And that was very good advice. Mm, Definitely, because... It's difficult to know how to financially prepare for something like that, that transition from having a stable job to that uncertainty that comes with entrepreneurship. So what were your financial considerations and what do you think people should be thinking about if they're 
they're thinking of taking that leap and going, yep, I want to be autonomous. I want to start my own business. <laughs> look, I think there's a number of things. I mean, look, I was fortunate that I was in the latter stage of my career. So I already had some financial, you know, strong financial foundations. Um, and also I had a husband who worked full time. And in those first, you know, couple of years of the business, we were really living off his um, wage and using anything that I was earning in the business to put back into the business. And I remember at a certain point, my accountant saying to me, you know, you do need to start paying yourself a wage, Michelle, you can't keep working for free. But part of it was, I really just felt like I needed a buffer in the business to feel comfortable that everything was going to be okay. And that there weren't going to be any issues with cash flow. Um, but I was very strategic, you know, yes, we had a bit of buffer in, in the bank, we had some financial foundations. And also, I was very deliberate about how and what and where I spent money. And that strategic piece was I knew that there was going to be some money that I needed to be able to to spend and invest in the business to be able to grow the business, but being very clear about when I was going to do that and also what I was going to then walk away with. Um, and I'd also say, you know, if I look at through the first couple of years of, or the first year of that pandemic, um, once again, you had to get very strategic and trim, trim back some of the expenses that I had because during the years of the pandemic, I wasn't earning what I was earning pre-pandemic. Mm. Yes, the old pandemic chestnut. (laughs) (laughs) There are lots of learnings, lots of learnings throughout that whole period. (laughs) Um, But it it sounds to me as well, though, businesses are not necessarily profitable from the get-go. So people should be thinking long (laughs) and hard. (laughs) Absolutely. I, I joked. I think the first year in my business, I remember joking to a friend of mine, oh my God, I think I just made the first, what I made my first year out of university. You know, I I went back 30 years in income. I mean, you do hear stories of people who have these, you know, dramatic growths in their first year. And mine wasn't that that first year, anything I was earning, I was investing back into the business. And also I was making a really big shift. Uh, If you look at what I was doing when I was in corporate, and I'd had a very unusual corporate career because I jumped a lot of functional disciplines. And then I was going into this space where I was running leadership programs and, you know, doing executive coaching. And you could, that that transition piece, I had to reposition myself in the market. And there were people who worked with me in corporate who would have been thinking, but hang on, you were doing something different in corporate. How can you now be doing this? So that repositioning took a lot of time and a lot of effort. Mm. So would you be suggesting... Then if someone's at home thinking, oh, I need to make some money, stick with your day job for now and do something that you can perhaps do on the side? Look, I think, you know, I always think everyone's, you know, financial positions are unique, but there's almost that test and learn. And if there's an ability to be able to develop the concept of the business, test it, see if it's going to work before you fully remove yourself from paid employment. That can be ideal. And I've seen people do it. I worked with these um, two gentlemen and they did exactly that. They knew they wanted to set up a business for themselves and they were going to work together and they worked it through. And the person that they worked for in the organization knew they were doing this. And they were so they're very clear that they weren't, you know, taking any kind of company property or company time or anything like that. But they set up the infrastructure, they set up the type of work that they were going to be doing so that then when they left corporate, their business was already ready to go and they knew that it was going to be viable. Mm. I think what you're saying there as well 
is very important. You know, if you do have a side hustle, do share it with your your employer. Do let them know that you're doing it. Then they won't be kind of questioning you in a bad way. (laughs) Exactly. And also depending on what contract you've signed, there are some organisations, if you're developing something that is some sort of product or system or technology, if you're working for the company, you've got to be really clear that you've done it on your own time because otherwise they may be able to go you legally and say, hey, we own the IP for that. So you really don't want to get yourself in a pickle or in a situation where the organisation goes, you've been doing this on company time, you've used company systems, you've breached company policy. So I always think with all of these sort of things, the best thing, transparency. Have the conversation, work out exactly where you're sitting with your organisation, what's okay, what's not okay. But also a lot of organisations these days are far more flexible than they used to be. And they recognise that people have, you know, that kind of of concept, not just of a side hustle of, of moonlighting. They know that people have jobs on the side and they're usually okay with that. But have the conversation so that you know where you stand. Hmm. So you mentioned at the top of this, you went to the meditation retreat, you came back, you said to your husband, I'm done, but you had no idea what what it was that you were going to do. How was it that you came to the decision that, you know, you wanted to be someone who was helping other people in that leadership space? I sat down and did a mind map and it was really cathartic. And so in that mind map, I was sort of mapping out all the things that I was interested in and that I was wanted to learn about and also where my knowledge sources were I've always had a really you know huge love of learning and with that a very broad knowledge base and as I was mapping that out I was also doing a lot of research and it was almost like I was building my own body of knowledge I wanted to be able to understand what knowledge I could draw on and then from there I was able to start to map out here's the types of space that I want to work in And here's the mediums or mechanisms I'm going to be able to use to be able to do that. But that has also evolved over time and how I've positioned myself in the market has evolved over time. So if you go back 10 years, I think I referred to myself as a change and leadership expert. Then that sort of evolved into a career and leadership expert, whereas now I call myself a workplace expert because that absolutely encompasses all the space that I work in. It's interesting how businesses evolve over time, isn't it? So you probably would not have thought at the very beginning that where you are now is where you would have ended up. No, no, not at all. And, you know, I think that's one of the joys of even just a career. You know, I'm doing some work with graduates at the moment and I said to them, you know, when I was in your position 30-odd years ago, I would never have been able to map out what I've done and that willingness to learn, to take a risk, to play with things and see where it goes, but also be willing to walk away, be willing to go, actually, no, that's not the path that I want to go down. But you'll never know if that's the path that you don't want to go down unless you've given it a go and unless you've tried it. Um, And also know when to seek advice and who to seek advice from. Um, you know, I've worked with some really amazing organisations and people along the way who have really helped me get to where I am now. But there's also been a time when I, I was ready to walk away from that. You know, I'd got what I needed, I'd learned what I could have in that ecosystem and it was time to actually look for other things to, to continue my learning and growth. And I think, you know, when you're running a business, you know, the same with any type of career, you can never stop learning. 
And when you're running a business, I think the challenge is there is almost, there's just so much to learn. There is so much to do. And knowing where those boundaries and those guardrails are is really important. And I remember one weekend I was doing some work and Craig, that's my husband, came into the study and he said to me, when are you going to be done? I said, wow, that's a really big question. And he goes, well, actually, I really wasn't looking for the philosophical conversation. I was really more interested, you know, two o'clock or three o'clock. But the challenge is with the business, you are never done. There's always going to be something to do. And so you have to get really strict about when you switch off. Yeah, particularly if you're doing that work from home, having those clear boundaries is really essential. Oh, look, absolutely, because you can just keep working, 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 working. Um, And in the sort of, you know, I'm in a service industry because I'm working with clients and servicing their needs, Um, but I'm really clear on the boundaries in terms of when I don't respond to emails, what, and I'm, you know, I'm one of those people, I get up really early, but I'm really clear about when I finish at the end of the day and also really clear from a capacity perspective how much face-to-face delivery work I can do because my you know mantra is I need to turn up and be my best for every single client that I'm in front of and deliver the absolute top value that I can deliver for them I cannot do that if I if I'm tired yeah and doing back-to-back meetings. yeah exactly and so that then means there will be times where people will want me to do something and I'll say actually no I can't do that now that doesn't mean that my diary is is free that day. You know, I might've been able to squeeze something in, but if I'd squeezed it in, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do my best. And I think it's that balance of always thinking the long term because you can cram things in, therefore make more money in a year, but you won't necessarily get the repeat business. And for me, it's about the sustainability of the business as well. Mm. So thinking about that long-term thing. So when you started, you said, you know, the mind maps and kind of trying to work out where it was that you wanted to go but then did you put a business plan into place and how important is that for someone thinking about starting a business? I did um, and I still do that so every year I sit down and do a business plan and part of that business plan I do a SWOT analysis and I work through what's working what's not working And I do that at both a a sort of a macro lens. Then I look at all the products and services that the organization has. I look at my suppliers. I look at relationships that we've got um, that you either need to strengthen or potentially walk away from. And then I map that out over the year. And so when I map out over the year, it's what are the things that we need to do on a monthly basis and then broken down by week to be able to keep things current because there's always something that you're going to be updating, whether you're updating videos or whether you're updating elements of the website or reviewing brochureware and branding. Um, and then there's the financial aspect. So I do that at a product lens, at a, through a financial lens, um, and then also through a stakeholder lens as well. It's a lot of lenses. <laughs> Look, it is. And it sounds overly complicated, but it's not because I keep building off what I've done the year before. And it's really just challenging myself and going, is that current? And then when you break things down in sort of step by step, it doesn't seem quite so big. So it's a bit like, you know, all businesses have a website. But if you don't have a regular routine of how you're updating the material on that website, it can feel overwhelming to go, oh, gee, we need to refresh the website. Well, actually, I'm constantly refreshing the website. Every month, there are pages within that website that are reviewed and updated. There is, you know, brochureware that is reviewed and updated. But because it's being done month by month, it never feels overwhelming. 
Um, and that's meaning it's just we're, it's systematic. And even though I'm a relatively small business, everything is documented in processes. And part of that is so that if my support team are unwell or something happens and they leave and go somewhere else, the work that they do is documented and it's easy for someone else to come in and follow the step-by-step of what it is that they were doing. Mm, processes are so important for any business. Yeah, and I was going to say, and people hate that sort of stuff because they go, oh, documenting a process. But I go, yeah, but imagine when you don't have it and you need it. <laughs> yes, and you're going, ah, oh, what do I do? <laughs> exactly, where do I start? <laughs> so for someone sitting at home right now thinking, oh, I want to start, start a side hustle, where would you suggest they start? Do they need to be looking at their expertise? Um, look, there's a couple of parts. You know, I think it is, you know, look at the where your skill set is and what is of a natural interest to you and then go, is there a market for this? So what else is already out there? And if there is a market that's already present, what is it that I might be doing differently that would mean that people would actually want to come to me rather than to someone else. And this is about you finding your niche within that market. And that may take some time to actually be able to do that. And then once you've got that sense of what's happening in the market and where you might fit in the market, you can then sit down and get really practical about what's the amount of effort, the amount of investment, the amount of time you're willing to put in to make that, um, turn your dream of running and developing a business into a reality. Mm, so what are some key milestones do you think or indicators that that people should be looking at to know that yep they're on the right track and this side side hustle might turn into something that's a full-blown business I look there's key obviously financial targets and in terms of those financial targets you know that will be different for everybody but work through how much am I willing to invest in this before I start making a return on that investment? How much time am I willing to allocate each week um, or each month, whatever the period that you're working through? And then once you've done that, you can build in milestones to go, okay, if I look at the next 12 months, what do I think the milestones might be in development in terms of number of clients or number of products that I've developed or number of services that I've sold. So work through what you think are the key metrics that are relevant to your business and then make sure you're checking in on those each week. I mean, at the end of each week, I do a sales review. It only takes me five minutes. And I just look at, you know, confirm the number of sales that have come in and how does that align up against my sales targets? Am I on track? Am I off track? Um, Early in, in your days, though, some of the metrics might be, you know, how many conversations am I having with people to get a sense about whether this is actually a viable opportunity? Um, if you know your financial circumstances well, you'll know what you need to achieve by an end of a 12-month period to be able to assess and go, yes, I think this is actually financially viable. And what about mentors or, or you know, people that you can have as a sounding board to help you work out whether your idea is a good one or you know maybe something's not in your skill set so you can seek advice are you a big believer in them look I think advice is essential it's also that getting the right advice there's a lot of people out there who will charge you a lot of money and you can use up a lot of money on things that aren't going to necessarily help you in the early days and so it's get really strategic about how does spending this money 
help me build the business or help me refine my thinking and refine my approach. And in my early days, um, I did some quite expensive, you know, thought leadership, mentoring style programs, and they were instrumental. They really helped me refine the type of business I was, refine my thinking, really helped me understand the sort of service offering that I was going to um, be able to deliver. But on the flip side, I've also seen people spend a lot of money on, you know, having these amazingly beautiful, expensive websites and brochures, but they're not actually getting out there and talking to people. So yes, you need a website and you do need some brochureware, but I found I had a very basic website to start with. It still looked good. I then evolved it and went to a sort of more high-end website, higher-end branding, you know, halfway into the development. So, you know, probably at year four or year five. So you can do things relatively cheaply and quickly and then refine and elevate them as the business becomes more successful. Um, And once again, one of the pieces of advice I got from my financial planner early on was in those early days, he said, "Um, do this as a sole trader. He said, because it's easier to get out of. Um, It was at the end of year one that I moved into a company structure because at that point I knew, yep, this is where I want to be and I want this to continue. So think about the company structure or how you're structuring the business to work out that if you do want to walk away from this, what's going to be the easier way to do it. But also, you know, and I'm not giving financial or legal advice or anything like that, but being aware of, you know, how do you make sure you protect your assets in the process? Hmm. Yeah, because there's very different implications depending on the way that you set up your business. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so back to your point around advice, get good lawyers, get good accountants, um, and also, you know, talk to people who have done this. I was very fortunate that I had people that I'd worked with in the past who'd run successful businesses. And, you know, because they were well on and established in their career, they were very generous with their time in giving advice. And some of it was really simple advice, but really helpful. I remember one piece, which was, you know, Michelle, no one's ever going to be as interested in your business as you. He said, so don't expect people to be asking you lots of questions about it. And you need to find ways to reward yourself when you've hit some of those milestones, because you don't get the same reward and recognition that you would have got when you're working in corporate. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. How, how do you celebrate those wins if you're, you know, you're a sole trader and you're sitting at home? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's really important to have, you know, friends or a partner or family or whomever around you that can be your cheer squad. Because, you know, there are times, you know, I love what I do, but particularly in the early days, there were some times where it was really hard. I mean, I remember the first couple of months of the pandemic and it was just horrible because it wasn't just that I was losing business. A lot of my clients were losing jobs and it was awful because I just kept getting this constant stream of emails, you know, I've lost my job. Um, Can you update my contact details? And it was, you know, you feel that for people as well. Um, And I needed people to talk to so that I could manage sort of the emotional impact of, what wasn't it wasn't just what was happening to me but what was happening to people around me hmm. so that well-being uh, and mental health piece that also is particularly important if you're you're a sole trader yeah oh look a- a- absolutely i um i often look back to my days in corporate and i would regularly sacrifice my health for a meeting you know a meeting would come in late and i'd do the meeting at six or seven o'clock at night so i'd end up skipping the gym then we'd have dinner late my health is significantly better now than it was when I worked in corporate because I cannot do what I do if I am not fit, healthy, well-fed, well-rested. 
Um, and so I have a very sort of strict is the wrong word because it's flexibility in it, but I have a very strong routine of self-care. Um, and to me, it's fundamental for me to be able to be successful in the work that I do. Mm. Yeah, that that work-life balance. I think it's fundamental for anyone to be successful, to be honest. Oh, look, I agree. I agree. But it's amazing how you can step away from it because you feel like things are maybe less out of your control. Whereas when you realise actually it is in your control and there's a choice about it and that you cannot do it, like you can't be successful without it, you really, it shifts up the priority ranking. Mm. But what about that juggle of, you know, the multiple hats that all small business owners have to wear? Is there a case then for if it's not in your wheelhouse, get some help somewhere else? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I was only having that conversation with my brother the other day because he's very tech savvy. Um, And there's, you know, a whole heap of emails always coming in, you know, this is getting updated and this is getting updated. Um, And you know, he said to me, look, you know, some of that's not exactly my space. And I said, yeah, I know, but it will take me longer to figure it out than it would take you to figure it out. And so I'd rather you do it and I pay you to do it than me do it. Um, And so I'm always making that choice. What are the things that I need to know? Because actually it's important to understand it. So for example, ChatGPT, like playing around with some of those large language models is really important to understand how they work, not just to be able to talk about them because they can also make me more productive in some of the work that I do but there are other technology aspects of the business that I do not need to know and understand um, the one thing that I always say you know yes you need to get good accountants but never outsource understanding the financial metrics in your business you have to understand the the revenue your cost base your cash flow the balance sheet you have to be able to read financial statements Mm. So if if that's not your forte, what would you suggest people do to kind of improve their skills in that area? Because a, a lot of people, uh, their money mindset is, you know, it, it, it's shrouded in a lot of fear sometimes. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I always think, because I used to say to people, oh, you know, I'm a words girl, not a numbers girl, because um, I am. I'm a writer at heart and I, and I love writing. I remember reading an article and they said, Michelle, but numbers just tell a story. And what you've got to do is just be able to read the story. And I remember that was like, oh, wow, actually, that's so true. That's what you do. The numbers are actually just telling a story. Um, But get trained in it. There are courses that you can do. So I did the AICD company directors course many moons ago, and I did it when I was still in corporate. And that was really helpful because that helped me understand how to read financial statements. Um, And, you know, the, the online tools that now exist to manage the day-to-day um, finances, and I'm not going to manage, mention any specific products, but they are so much easier to use than some of these sort of older iterations of um, accounting uh, packages and stuff like that. So that makes it easier. But if you don't know how to do it, find someone who can help educate you And don't just rely on someone to give you the summary. You have to be able to interrogate the data yourself because if you can't interrogate the data, you don't know the questions to ask. And if you don't know the questions to ask, then how do you not know whether someone's fiddling with figures? Um, So I really, to me, remember having this conversation with someone years ago where they're like, oh, you know, why do I need to understand cash flow? I said, you have to because one, it's a legal requirement. If you're running a business and you don't have cash flow, 
and you're technically insolvent, you've got a whole raft of legal issues potentially. So to me, this is not just a nice to have, it's imperative. Absolutely right. And you're right about the the accounting systems these days as well. You know, they, they have all these built-in dashboards. It's really easy to con- configure and set stuff up so that you do get a clear picture of that you know, the incoming and outgoing real-time financials for your business, it's it's so much simpler than it was even five years ago, ten years ago. Goodness, we've been quite far roaming with this conversation. It's been a great conversation. (laughs) What about our small business owner listeners right now, going back into your kind of change management uh, days and culture is a really important peace when it comes to the success of a business and also maintaining you know the staff morale and keeping the staff that you have when we're in this skill shortage space at the moment and staff shortage space what 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 advice do you have for business owners that are wanting to make sure that they have a great culture in their business be nice (laughs) (laughs) that was a very long question Two word answer. <laughs> look, you know, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, look, kindness matters. You know, I blog every week, and I always say to people, you know, there's a difference between striving for likability and being a kind and caring boss. Because when you strive for likability, you don't make the tough decisions, and you do often as a business leader, you need to make tough decisions um, or hard decisions, or you need to step into conversations when things aren't working. But you, at fundamental, if you are a kind, caring, compassionate leader people will want to work with you but also depending on the business that you're in recognize that depending on the stage of that person's career you may not be able to offer them the career growth that they want forever and so that's okay if you can develop them they may go elsewhere they may come back later in their career Um, but get really clear about the type of people that you want in your organization that connect with the type of culture that you want to create but you create that jointly it's not just down to you you know the people who work with you play a part in it but you help lead that culture and you can really set the tone so get really clear about it Um, and you know when you work with people and they enjoy working with you they're more likely to want to stay Um, but that's only going to happen if you you understand them and they understand you and you know what they want in terms of their career growth and where it is that they want to go as well. Mm. And I guess um, looking after your own mental health and that kind of thing first and foremost so that you're in a space where you can lead effectively is probably a big a big consideration. Absolutely, because if you're really tired and stressed, you don't even notice what someone else might need. And, you know, one of the best things you can ever do as, as, a, as a boss is to just go, hey, just checking in. Are you okay? You know, what's working? What's not working for you? Um, and those kind of casual conversations or casual lunches where there's interaction. And, yes, I know a lot of people work remotely, but where there are opportunities to come together. You know, at our base core, humans are tribal creatures. We want to feel like we're part of something, that we belong. And if you can foster belonging, then people feel so much better. And those sort of strong, positive emotions, that translates into how they work. Mm. Is it more difficult if your staff is fully remote these days? 
Look, it's interesting. There's lots of things that you can do. You know, I look at people who work with me and most of them are remote, um, but there are times we still come together. And when we come together, we're really clear that we're coming together and spending time with each other. What we find, and this is backed up through research, is if we're doing things through Zoom and Teams, we can lose some of the subtle uh, signals that we communicate non-verbally. So you've just got to be more attuned and more focused and also recognise that not everything needs to be done online. Sometimes you're actually much better off just picking up the phone and having a conversation with people. And so it's prioritising that connection rather than everything feeling transactional. Mm Thank you so much, Michelle. I think we're just about out of time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this morning. No, I was going to say thank you. I just, I love our conversations. I love the way I never quite know whether where it's going to go, but it always heads in lots of interest, interesting directions. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> They're never boring. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again for your time. And I'm sure we'll chat again very soon. Beautiful. Thank you so much.